Hey guys, it is your host Jason Cole with Whatsoever is True. We're going to jump right into this. Proverbs 14 verse 12 and Proverbs 16 25, same verse. Ready? Here we go. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. How do we know we're not making mistakes? Because what we're doing is rooted in biblical principle. It is not an arrogant thing to say when you quote scripture and understand it and attempt to apply it in Christ, it is actually a humble thing because you're aware that you are not the root of right and wrong. God is. Now that's been that's been twisted out of any recognizable shape these days, and Christians are oftentimes considered to be very arrogant. Let's get into that. In the Bible, wisdom literature <clears throat> you know doesn't refer to mere physical existence. Life doesn't. But the way of life conform to the will of God. Okay, that's what life is. The way of life conform to the will of God. Life is a path blessed by God. Modern man, he, he thinks he's practical. Okay, but nothing about sin is practical. Which is why sin is no thought of the future, just right now. The mind is set on the flesh, is characterized by practical thinking only, not principles. It's only not truth, because sin has no principle, except itself and except immediate gratification. Now, when Proverbs speaks of death, it doesn't mean mere end of physical life, but it's an ir irreversible descent into moral madness and perversity. Proverbs 5.23 says, He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. So, you see that the path to life is a path of wisdom, which is characterized by discipline. To be led astray is to depart from the will of the Lord, known only by the full counsel of Scripture. Proverbs tells us that the path to wisdom requires careful analysis of the facts of reality, and we do well to remember that the devil quotes Scripture when he tempts the Lord. Tempts, you know, remember, he, you know, he tells him, you know, hey, throw yourself off of this, this building. Um, you know, you're hungry. Tell these, these stones to turn to bread. He's, he's tempting the Lord, and he's quoting scripture in, in cases, so we have to be careful with that. Romans 12 exhorts us to test, okay, and we're to carefully consider our steps. The devil is a great humanist. As I said, he's going to point out things like hunger, fear. He's going to suggest a path to correct them, though, that plays one aspect of scripture over against another or directly violates it. This is why we've got to study scripture humbly. We are called to be, literally, theologians, all of us, not sloppy emotional thinkers driven by every wind of doctrine. Job 22.21 says, Agree with God and be at peace, thereby good will come to you. And, of course, how are we supposed to agree with Him unless, if we don't know the Word? 2 Timothy 2.15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of Truth. Ephesians 4, 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by ways carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. <clears throat> so, all right, what is every wind of doctrine? What, what does that mean? Well, it means that when we take one part of scripture and interpret it in contradiction to others, right? For example, imagine a father that works so much that he scarcely sees his children, now, a wise path may be to take another job, even if it pays less. This may cause the family to adjust its living standards, you know, accordingly. 
If that means a few things need to be cut from the budget, well, then, you know, so be it. The greater good of the family is worth driving a used car, less expensive vacations, and eating out less. But what if he quits his job and decides to live on savings and credit cards? Hmm? What about that? Well, let's say that he didn't want the family not to have, you know, nice things. And he reasons that, uh, you know, this was loving to his family because I, I want my kids to have the best, right? So we know that this isn't love because the father's trading temporary blessings for long-term disaster, right? Yes, we can see the folly of this sin. It's rather apparent. It's always easier to see it in others, though. But it's harder when we're the one in the ring and the punches are uh, they're coming in our way. You know, they're coming at our face. And it's harder when we're tempted with some short-term plan or another. It's always easier to do the thing you want to do right now than to obey the Lord if it's costing you something. The principle is that sin whispers a lie that we should always be comfortable. Ready? Sin lacks discipline. It sacrifices tomorrow for right now. This happens because in our hearts, we resent the limitations of life. That's the point. When you say the word discipline, you really mean you're, you're, you're accepting reality. Because we, as, we are not God. At the root of this is, is an unscriptural basis. If you lack discipline, it's because you're pretending to be on the throne of the Lord. It's a theological problem. Because you, God doesn't have to, to do anything. God is God. God has all the power. You and all the power. That's why you lack discipline. Real disciplined people are actually accepting the facts of reality, that they're the ones who have to change, not reality, if that makes sense. The weight of death is to approach these limitations outside the will of God. So you try to manipulate things. <clears throat> so we recall that the Israelites grumbled against God and Moses when they were hungry, right? When the physical limitations of life confronted them, they blamed God for them. This was written for our benefit, right? As the scripture says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Romans 15, I think it's um, 4 and 6, 4, 5, 6, something like that. So, note how Scripture says that He is the God of endurance. He is. In this regard, He is the God of endurance and discipline. The life of faith isn't a life of emotionalism, but of the study of and conformity to the Word of God. For we have faith in the person of Jesus Christ, not our feelings or some vague force out there, okay? Let's get rid of that. Like, that's one of the things that just drives me crazy. Like, Am I, he's a person of faith. He's a person of faith. He's a man or woman of faith. As if faith itself is a thing. No, we have, a, we have faith in an objective person, and that's Jesus Christ. So, the way of death is the way of our own mind, of confidence in, ultimately, man-made reasoning rather than the full counsel of Scripture. That's the point here, okay? There's a way that seems right to a man. Going back to that. Our Lord spoke often of those who will say to him on the last day, Lord, Lord, but they never knew him. So, let's just say this, okay? And I know this is going to be a hard thing to hear, but we can't have Jesus as Savior and not Lord. The two are indivisible. 
Not every Israelite was a believer, and not every churchgoer is either. Just as many perish in the wilderness because the bread from heaven wasn't sufficient for them, so today we're faced with the choice of Jesus, the true bread of heaven, and the word that testifies of him and testifies to him. So the way this seems right to a man is the way of death. That's the way of Satan. And it's the way of right now. It's not the way of faith. It's the way of those who came to Jesus to be fed in John 6, but deserted him when he told them of spiritual truth. Life is the way of John 14, 23, where Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. The way of death sees life with faithless eyes, not trained by scripture. It says, since I have peace with God and have obtained access into this grace, which I stand, I will not rejoice in sufferings, nor develop the endurance for it. I want the blessings of God, but not the obedience through which it comes. It reads scripture, but doesn't hear it. But the faithful Christian is the one that submits to God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit. It knows that we will have troubles in this world, but it rejoices in the knowledge that Christ has overcome it all. This is so important. And so, shall we be provided, right? We walk with him rather than in the world. So the world promises love, right? It promises love through sex and right and emotion. It promises wealth, absent production and savings. You're seeing that right now with our response to COVID-19. To save life, we told everybody to stay home. Don't go to work. And we made almost 50 million people unemployed. And then to pay for that, we printed money out of thin air. You cannot replace real wealth, which came from real work, because we have to work because we are dependent. We are not God. We are not on a throne. Remember, it comes back down to the theological mistake of thinking, I shouldn't have to do anything. That's the problem. And so what do we do here? We just said, well, just stay home because we don't want anybody to die. And you think, well, wait a minute, how are we going to pay for that? Well, let's just put it on the, nation, the national credit card, right? So it promises knowledge, right? The world promises knowledge without godly wisdom. It promises peace without repentance. It promises triumph without the cross. It glorifies self, never God. Look at the way the so-called elites are patting themselves in the back for how much they care. Uh, and, and you see it in the politics all the time about what they do for people and how they love the poor and they love the downtrodden. And they love all this. And, and, you know, they're jet setting everywhere. And, and it, it's, it's pretty much, you know, caviar for me and uh, leftovers for thee, that kind of thing. Um, but remember, the lies are subtle. And they all speak to a real need and a true desire. Don't get that. Don't don't miss that. But watch, okay? Watch, lest you be swept up in it all. Guard yourself in this battle with the flesh. Guard yourself. Guard your mind. Have have that rod of discipline over your own mind and your own thoughts that you don't start thinking the world sauce after it. Always think and go. How is this biblical? How does this glorify God? I'll give you an example. When you come to a conclusion to a problem, a solution to a problem that doesn't glorify God by, and that's one of the easiest ways to, to see if something is going to actually be biblical, is how does this glorify Jesus Christ? You know, for example, our worldly solution to poverty, in, 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 you know, as far as the Democrats are concerned, is welfare. 
forced taxation from one group of people to give it to another group of people. And then the politicians pat themselves in the back. How is that glorifying God? Forced taxation, forced charity? That doesn't glorify God. In fact, it contradicts scripture completely, which is why we know it doesn't glorify God. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Who cheerfully pays their taxes? You cheerfully give to a charity of your choice. That's why income redistribution and, and forced charitable giving through taxation is sinful. And it is not biblical. No matter what anybody says, that they say, well, the Christian church should be concerned with the poor. Yes, it is concerned with the poor, but it's concerned with also the rights of conscience and freedom of the giver. No one should give under compulsion. If they're giving under compulsion, they can't be glorifying Jesus Christ for it. Whoever glorifies Jesus Christ for having to do something they're forced into, that's preposterous. So, watch. Let you be swept up in all of the grandeur and the language that they have and the pomp and ceremony. Uh, you know, the, 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 the Democrat convention is coming up, in, in, I think, in a couple of weeks. And they're going to be talking about how much they love the poor and they love the downtrodden. They want justice and peace. They do not want biblical justice. They do not want peace through Christ. They want peace the way the Tower of Babel wanted peace. They wanted it through the power and the intellect of man. They don't want to admit sin. And not of themselves, they're going to point out sins in other people. So guard yourself in this battle with the, with, with the flesh and the mind and the world. Go to the cross and literally bolt yourself there, knowing Christ and him only, and pray that you see the world as God sees it. That's what he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that he opens your eyes to the wondrous things from the word, not the world. Pray to be biblical, not worldly. That's the key. The, 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 the false churches out there the, the, that are promising all this wealth, health, and prosperity constantly, <clears throat> it gets you to focus on your outward circumstances instead of seeing your true blessing as a knowledge of the Lord. Have you, have you, done, have you done that? Have you just stopped for a second and really thought about Jesus Christ and the fact that he died for your sin if you make a habit of doing that, you make a habit that will pay massive dividends for your life. If you thank the Lord for knowing the word of the Lord, for having the word of the Lord, have you prayed to say, Lord, let me understand your word? What a blessing that is. We have the word of the Lord. He's communicated with us. He's communicated truth to us, his truth to us. This, that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing possession. Have we stopped to contemplate how incredible that is? How amazing that is? So again, the way that seems right is to seek freedom and success here and now on our terms. And then we end up, you know, like trying to plug little holes in a Titanic. <laughs> we, we can't do it because that's not going to fix the problems that we think we're needing to fix. But there's no true freedom, there's no success, and no life unless we're in Christ. Go to Christ, and there we find the wisdom of God. So that will help you understand, <clears throat> excuse me, that will help us understand the critical distinction that the book of Proverbs is making when it talks about life or death, the way of life, okay? The wisdom literature in the book of Proverbs, as we sum this up, Life doesn't refer to mere physical existence. I'm sure you already know that, but you may probably sense it. 
that doesn't refer to just your physical existence, but the way of life that is conformed to the will of God and that is beautiful because of it. The word of the Lord is beautiful, reviving a soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. Okay, the, the, we should rejoice in this. Pray. If that's not filling your heart with joy and peace and, and, and love, then pray for that. Pray that the Lord opens his word to you and that you're not dry. If you're going through a, a period of dryness, you know, if you're in a desert, it's generally because of sins that has separated us from him. But this is the key to it, okay? So let's get there and let's do that. And uh, hopefully we understand that. And we'll catch you. We'll catch you next time. And again, this is Jason, What Service True. And it's just always a pleasure. And I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And don't forget to check us out, whatservicetrue.com. Got a lot of blogs on there, a lot of work. Hopefully it'll be a blessing as well. Talk to you later.